What if all you needed to get better in every way was available at the touch of a hand or the sound of a voice or even a vibration? Let's talk about how that happens, who can do it, and where to find them. I'm John Webster, and this is The Hesitant Healer. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to The Hesitant Healer. I'm John Webster, here with my trusty, loyal, faithful sidekick, Lisa Kay. Hey everybody, how's it going? Lisa thinks I'm funny, because I like to use lots of adjectives. (laughs) So here's the thing that happened the other day, Lisa, and you were there. I was. We had a client come in, and she sits down and looks a little uh, verklempt, huh? Like that word? Yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. How you doing? And she goes, do you really want to know? And I'm like, in my head, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and in my outside voice, I said, yes. And she starts talking. Talking. Let me tell you, she starts talking. We didn't even do any work, kids. She just talked and told us about what was going on and what had been going on. But here was the thing. Three separate times in this story of what's going on in her life, she mentions a podcast. And in the podcast, and during these times that she's talking, she uh, she has some emotions going on. And she says, you guys have helped me so much find my voice. And I went, wait, we did that? Lisa, we did that? Wow. So, you know, there's times where I'm doing this where I'm like, this thing's costing me money, and I don't know if I'm doing any good, and do people really want to hear me talk? It turns out some of you do. <laughs> and and uh, But we've put out some good content. It also makes me want to continue to put out content, which is or good content, which is uh, uh, a little difficult, I think. And then something like that pops up into my head and uh, or into my sphere, and uh, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, I, I have a, uh, a story for the podcast. So let me, let me ask you this, Lisa. Yes. You're uh, <laughs> years old. Uh, uh, <laughs> Thank you. That was, that was very kind. <laughs> ha- have you found your voice? I have found my voice. More importantly, was there a time in your life where you didn't have a voice and where you felt you weren't heard and couldn't speak your truth? Oh yeah, I, I I would say twenty six and a half years of my life. Right? How, how and and folks, we're talking about a marriage here. Yeah. And so so did did you find your voice after that? Yes, I did. How, how did you do that? Uh, it was process. Uh, definitely a process. Uh, it was. Do, do you just go to process school? You do. No, here here's really what it was. It was introspection. It was allowing myself opportunities to grow. Uh, it was becoming really brave. A lot of it was uh, pulling up my big girl panties and, uh, and going. I, I think that's, that's the biggest thing. When we put this on the internet as what's going to come out uh, tomorrow, <laughs> can we put a picture of big girl panties up there? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> Tell me if you've heard this before. Admission, inventory, confession, restitution, prayer, and service. I have heard that. That's a whole AA thing. And it turns out that is a guideline. It's more of a guideline. Guideline. It's more of a guideline uh, for how to live life and find your voice, right? You kind of have to go introspective. You kind of have to make admissions about where your life is. You 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 have to make some confessions and, and say some I'm sorry's and, and get down to the brass tacks of what your life is. 
And by looking at that and having some experience up until that point, you can then make better decisions and, and change things that you don't like. And in so doing, it turns out you can find your voice. Right. Right. When you're a doormat, when you're following all the things that uh, the messed up people in your life made you, taught you, forced you to do, we're kind of stuck. And, and we fall into patterns in relationships, in jobs, in day-to-day business stuff. Uh, what was that Michael Douglas movie where he had a really bad day? Oh, and then he went crazy and, and he, he went shot crazy. everybody. He just wanted a fucking breakfast sandwich and they were closed, right? When, <laughs> it was 10.05. Nope. It was 10.05, sir. Sorry, right? Um, but when we get to those points in our life and, and the breaking points force us to examine these things, it's then when we tend to find our voice. Now, not everybody. Some people grew up good. And there were Twinkies and balloons all the time. And, and they made good decisions and had good mommies and daddies and good role models and good teachers. And, and um, they turned out okay. But a lot of us did not. And, and it took us a while to find our voice. Mm-hmm. You know, that caused me to think and caused me to retrospect or introspect. And, and uh, I do love telling this story because it was kind of a pivotal point in my life and it's i've told my alcoholic story i haven't told my al-anon story for those of you who don't know al-anon is the sister program of alcoholics anonymous in which uh bill wilson who's one of the founding fathers of alcoholics anonymous his wife lois uh helped found al-anon because she became it became very apparent to her that she needed a program too Right for the friends and families of alcoholics, because it turns out we get better and y'all still stay crazy. <laughs> and if you don't have a program living with an active alcoholic who is sober, uh, you y- y- might go a little nuts. Anyway, uh, I-, I digressed. So I was sober for quite a bit. Uh, it turns out, even when I quit drinking, my life was not fantastic in the best. There were a lot of things going on. There were a lot of loose ends that were still floating around. I, I have mentioned before, I did not get better overnight. I was still catting around, as they say, even sober. I was still cheating on my wife, is the ugly way to put that. And and um, I was still a bit of a liar, a cheat, and a thief. I was just not drinking. And so it took a while to learn how to right that ship and make better decisions. And a few years into it, while I was learning to do the daily things of aspiration and pray a little bit better and live a better, more honest life and try and and take other people into consideration and not be so god dang selfish and self-centered, that it turns out life started to change a little bit too. Hmm. Right? I Who can knew? I right? <laughs> I can I can distinctly remember when I was newly, newly sober. I went out to my car one day to turn the key to go to work, and it just went, and I'm like, what the fuck? And I remember just almost in tears, sitting in that car. It's not moving. I don't have any money. The wife is there with the three kids in the house. Like, you got to go to work, and we don't have two cars. And it was was a, a, a day crashing, life crashing experience. Oh, my God right nothing's working what the hell how is this i don't ah right mm, right if that happened to me today uh-huh it would just be wednesday 
You know what I mean? But I here's do. here's the difference in perspective, right? When 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 you're trying to get your shit together and 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 nothing's working and that one little straw breaks, it's catastrophic. Right. When when things are going better and you have a better perspective and 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 you've gotten rid of a lot of that baggage and and you have a clearer perspective on what the truth of of life is going on is happen- is happening around you it's not as big a deal right right but the question becomes how do you get there how do you find your voice how do you find that perspective so uh, i've mentioned before i'm an artist I, I i always have been it's a natural thing i don't understand how come you can't draw like i can draw <laughs> i don't understand how you can't do ice carvings like i can do ice carvings it it, it, it it's a thing that's in me right mm-hmm. so when i got separated uh, from my first wife, which uh, I didn't have very good self-esteem. Even though I was self-centered, I didn't have good self-esteem. And so when all my shit came crashing down on me and I was living from apartment to apartment or crashing on people's couches and I couldn't take care of the kids I had and they needed to stay with their mother and I felt guilty. So I was giving her all of my check. I was trying to live on 200 bucks a month. It, it, <sighs> I, I was crazy. And, and guilty, guilty, and rightfully so. I deserve to be guilty for, for quite a while. But uh, as I started to pull out of this, because at some point you have to accept your fate and, and just do what you can do. And I was working. I was working okay, and I was trying to be the best me I could possibly be. Um, one of the things you do in, in the AA is you sponsor people, and that sponsorship has to do with uh, talking to new people who have gone through what you've gone through. And walking them through the steps and, and your point of view. And I was probably three years sober at this point, maybe four years sober at this point. Mm-hmm. Working at a catering company and and uh, banging around doing stuff. And I remember having a talk with uh, Racer X and, and Racer X is like, you know, you got to start sponsoring people. Well, I didn't feel I had anything to give to these people. I didn't feel I had the right to tell them what to do with their lives because I still didn't know what the fuck I was doing with my life. So I... I can I ask a question? You can ask a question. So you were sober. So the the struggle isn't with not drinking. The struggle is internal about yourself. The struggles with living day to day. Got it. The struggles with living day to day because it turns out the drinking was living with the struggle the day to day. Right? It's not drinking. It's... It's the effects of drinking. Of drinking, actually, it's the effects of life that cause the drinking. Right? I don't need a drink. I need a drink to forget. Ah. Right. So, or I just don't want to exist, or I just don't want to feel. That's a big one. That's I a really big one. Really don't want to feel. Right. right? I don't want to feel nothing. Right. I want to feel good, but I want to feel good all the time. And I want to feel good all the time with no consequences. Of Can't course. I just have that? I want to win the lottery. <laughs> I don't want to play. I just want to win it. All right. So, not, not a lot of logic in a in a in a, a practicing alcoholic. So, got it. Uh, I was doing the day to day, and and uh, and I'm working, and I, I'm kind of resolving to my fate, and I, I'm trying to be a good worker. I'm trying to be a good dad as best I could, which wasn't much at the time. Anyway, I wasn't sponsoring people, and and my eraser X is like, you got to do something to help people. 
You have to get out of yourself and out of your fucking squirrely head and start doing something for other people so that you can quit feeling sorry for yourself, you self-centered son of a bitch, was kind of the way that conversation went. Mm -hmm. And I remember driving through Loma Linda and across the street from the Loma Linda Hospital, which is a gigantic hospital here in Southern California, there is a Ronald McDonald house. And on their little kiosk billboard as I drove by, it said, help wanted. And I thought, what the hell? I'm going to volunteer. Now, Lisa Kay, you may not know this. I am not a volunteer guy. I don't do <laughs> shit for free. Yes, right? I, Ever. I do know that about you, actually. Because it turns out I might be selfish. So <laughs> uh, I ponied up. I drove in. I said, hey, uh, I don't know what to do, but I don't, uh, I don't know what you need. And she goes, and they're all cheery in there, right? <laughs> And for those of you who don't know, the Ronald McDonald House, which is uh, clearly a McDonald's thing, but their charity builds these houses close to hospitals, and they are designed to aid the families of children who are severely sick. So they feed them, they put them up, because, you know, if you have that kind of thing going on, you can't afford a hotel all the time. Right. So this, this covers all their costs for free, and they can be close to their child while their child is sick. It's a, it's a worthy, worthy charity. Right. So, uh, and shout out to Ronald McDonald House here in La Melinda, right? So the lady says, well, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a chef. She goes, oh, we got something for you. And she walks <laughs> me into the kitchen. It turns out this place has apartments. They have uh, common rooms. They got playrooms. They got a full kitchen with a full pantry, right? Ooh. And this pantry gets donations Daily. Daily. So she opens this thing up and it almost comes rolling down over the top of me. She says, well, we need help with this, <sighs> right? Because it's just food on food on food on food. Did she mean she needed you to with, organize with, Yeah, that? organize okay. the pantry. And she says, you know what would be super helpful is, is if you could cook maybe six meals, prepackaged meals, so that when these people come in at 9 or 10 o'clock at night after being with their sick kid all day, right. they have something to eat. And in my head, I'm like, uh, really? That's all you want me to do? Because that was nothing for me. Well, right? okay. But see, if somebody had asked me that, I would have been like, uh. I, I, I get that. But at the time, I'm like, it can't be this easy. But it, it turns out volunteering isn't hard if you know what you're doing, right? <laughs> so I'm like, sure, I could do that. And we came upon a time, I think it was Friday nights when I was done before I went on my weekends, I, I would come spend a couple hours and go in here. So I organized their pantry. You know, you put the pasta with the pasta and the peas with the peas and the meat with the meat and you organize all the stuff and you do an inventory and you run it just like a kitchen. Piece of cake for me. Right. It had never been done. Right? Oh, wow. And they had, because these places have money, they had a nice kitchen with a stove and ovens and plenty of equipment. Right. And oh, by the way, if you need anything, we'll get it for you. But they had anything they needed. Right. So, like, I'm talking about spaghetti. Remember we talked about spaghetti a couple uh -huh. weeks ago? Yep. Spaghetti for a dozen people. It's a piece of cake for me, right? <laughs> so I set about to doing this. And it wasn't hard. And I was... Uh, uh, I'm in a kitchen alone doing what I love to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm helping people. Mm -hmm. And I'll try not to tear up by talking about this. But... Holy crap. I'm gonna I'm gonna get emotional. <laughs> <clears throat> you get a mother and a father 
who've been dealing with a cancer-stricken kid who's dying. That meal is everything. Right. Well, when your child is sick, that becomes you, your focus, it's right? It's your world. Right. That's and their so world. The, the little things like taking care of yourself as a parent, like, I should eat something. And there's no neighbors. Right. There's nobody coming over. Right. And the family lives across the United States. So, I got it, right? The impact of, of something that was trivial for me is gigantic for these people. Hence the the lesson of volunteerism, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know. A couple months in, six eight weeks in, I'm talking to the directors, and and uh, it must have been around Christmas because when they found out I could do ice carvings, they asked if I could do an ice carving. Could you please? I'm like, yeah, it's Aww. nothing, nothing again. Order the ice for me, and I'll carve this thing, and we'll put it up for their little party, right? Again, nothing for me, and these people, it's the biggest deal for them, right? So I started learning lessons about getting out of myself and giving to others mm -hmm. because that made a difference, mm -hmm. right? And that the gift I had could be transferable, mm -hmm. right? That that whole thing about me giving my art away had a bigger purpose. So mm -hmm. I started to understand that. Well, I don't know, six, eight weeks in, they come in and they go, look, uh, we wrote a grant. I didn't know anything about grants. <laughs> and uh, and it had to do with uh, servicing other people or some kind of thing. And, uh, and we received the grant, so now we have to do the thing. And it had to do with nutrition and feeding of families. Mm -hmm. And so... Could do you think you could write a menu? We're going to turn it into a cookbook because we have this grant money and we have to write a cookbook. We have to write a, a six-week menu. We have to put some nutrition to it. Uh, could you do all that? I'm like, sure. You know, I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm, I'm bored to death anyway. I'd be happy to. And they say, oh, it comes with a stipend. I'm like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I don't. I'm not doing this for money. I right. can't. I can't do this for money. Right. right. Yeah. Well, the grant says we have to pay whoever does this so right. we we need to pay you well and with grants because i've i've worked some with grants um you actually like if they give you two thousand dollars you have to spend the two thousand yeah, dollars I, I didn't understand that and they explained it to me you, right. you you and i'm like oh okay and it'd be like uh i think it was like 185 dollars per menu uh which they wanted uh twice a week uh -huh. so it was 185 dollars twice a week and I'm like, for sh for shit, I was already doing right, <laughs> and and uh, and they're gonna pay it in, and you, and here's the first check, wow. right, which was uh, like twelve eighty, so, something weird like that, right? It was huh. a real specific number, right? Uh-huh. Here's the rest of the story. Yes. At that time, because everything had fallen apart, and I was starting from zero. Uh huh. I had bumped into. I was looking for an apartment, and I couldn't find an apartment anywhere. Could not find an apartment anywhere. Uh, uh, and roommates were scarce. Right. And, and uh, I only had X amount of money. Right. Right? And it wasn't that I couldn't pay rent. It was that first and last thing that really killed me. Right. As, as a lot of you out there know, right? Right. So 
Somebody told me about a local paper, a Loma Linda paper, because Loma Linda is a giant medical community with a lot of students. Right. And somebody told me about a local super secret Loma Linda paper that just kind of <laughs> caters to that community. And I got a hold of one, and they have want ads in there. And they have, the, oh. and a lot of people who own property have extra rooms that they rent to these medical students while they're going through med school because right. it's four years of payments, right? Right. I get this thing. I see an ad for one or two. And the one person that calls me back, she was a, a beautiful little old Chinese woman. She says, you come look, you come look. And and it was up in the back hills of Redlands mm. in a place I didn't even know existed, up on a hill. And the driveway split into two identical houses that had a history, right? Mm-hmm. The history was that these two brothers who built hotels in Palm Springs built these houses for themselves way back in the 50s, right? She lived in one of the houses. The other one was vacant at the time. And behind her house was what's called a mother-in-law house. Right. It was a single-room apartment that had a huge living room that attached to a kitchen, a single shower with a bathroom, and a huge bedroom with a porch that sat on top of active orange groves. So the smell was amazing. Wow. And she wanted, honestly, I don't remember what, what it was she wanted which was totally affordable but the first and the last which i had been i i i i had to fill out an application right and Mm -hmm. i hadn't done a lot of those but they want references they want people you know i'm this shitty alcoholic that's gone through a divorce i'm like what the hell do i have to offer well it turns out i was working for the sheriff's department Uh. which looks really good on paper uh Right. It turns out I'd had a job for a couple of year, which looks really good on paper. Right. It turns out that Racer X had a hell of a background, so he's a great <laughs> reference. And I knew some people in the sheriff's department who were great references. Mm-hmm. And so when I turned this thing in, she's like, "Oh yeah, I want you. All you need is first and last." And that's where I went, oh, and the shoulder slump, and the head slumps. And I'm like, I don't have that amount of money. Right. And I called Racer X. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. Right. In the meantime, I'd been volunteering at Ronald McDonald House. <laughs> and the number they wanted was $10 off of what that first check was they gave me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. <laughs> it was, it was. I mean, talk about a God moment. And I'm sitting there going, are you fucking kidding me? Right. How does that happen? Let's go even further. This apartment had i call it the bitchin apartment my wife hates it because all i do is talk about the bitchin apartment when i talk about this place the plate glass window was triple the size of a normal plate glass window and it opened up to the entire inland inland empire that looked across the valley all the way over to the mountains of of uh rancho cucamonga and the the bedroom window and the kitchen window opened up to the mountains of san gorgonio and the entire uh san Bernardino and and uh, uh redlands valley and you know, they tell you to pray about stuff you want right. and, and pray for incontestable proof and pray for the things you want and you'll get it. This was one of those things. And it's like, holy crap. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, at that time, I had uh, gotten, I was still doing AA, but I had figured out that I was uh, addicted to alcoholic women and crazy people. <laughs> and uh, and I had gotten into Al-Anon, and that's an entirely different story. But but I had an Al-Anon sponsor who says I can use his name, so I got it, John Kelly, right? And JK, JK would, it was, still is great at giving really, really good advice. So here's the thing. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel I deserved this. And although all the signs said, hey, 
here's what you've been asking for. I didn't have any furniture. Mm. I, I I had a mattress on the floor, right? <laughs> I had cinder blocks and cinder blocks and pieces of wood for shelves, right? The whole thing. Meanwhile, I'm working in jail. I, I, I have a a very good county job, making very good money. I'm still giving the ex wife most of it because I still feel guilty. But I don't have a a couch. I don't have a. I'm not drawing. I don't have plates. I, you know. And I would sit in this room that was empty, looking out at these beautiful views, and I, I'm hugging myself, and I'm rocking back and forth, and mm. I, 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 I don't know what to do. I don't deserve this. I'm busy. I get up at 6 a.m., and I go, 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 and I don't come home in the doors until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, because mm. I, I, I don't know how to sit still. Uh. I don't know how to be okay with, with these gifts that are being given to me, and I don't know how to be okay with with a stillness that is now coming, I don't know what it's like to be peaceful. I certainly don't have my voice, right? right. I know how to cook, and it turns out that's kind of helped me here. So he says, uh, you sit in that room until you can't stand it anymore, mm. and then you get up and go do. But you sit in there until you feel so uncomfortable you can't do it anymore, and then you go, right? Right. Uh, Racer X used to make me stare at a clock with a second hand and say, you stare at that clock for one second at a time and think of nothing else but the next second. And if you find that your mind wanders, you start all over again. It took me about eight months to learn how to do that, mm. right? I didn't know how to sit still. I had the monkey mind. I had the monkey body. I was I was going crazy in my own skin, mm-hmm. And these things are dropping down on my lap because I'm trying to get better and I'm getting better, but I didn't know how to handle the better. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know how to do anything. It turns out I was 30, I want to say 36, 37 at the time. But I'm, I'm, now here's the other funny thing. I had a couple of friends at work. I had a lot of friends at work, but there were these two, uh, Black women, Jackie and uh, and Barbara, who would just howl at me. They just <laughs> thought I was hilarious. Shout out to Jackie and Barbara, and uh, and and they'd be like, "Web, what'd you do last night?" And and I'd tell them whatever story, whatever crazy thing I did, and they just laugh and laugh and laugh. <laughs> so a couple things happened. I'll get back to them in a second. Uh, I had a friend. I had learned Reiki. This is about when I started my adventure of. Uh, of learning uh, energy work and body work. And and there's a, a local lady here who does Reiki. And I had met her at an Al-Anon meeting. She had the brightest eyes and the biggest smile. I'm like, what do you do? She says, I do Reiki. I said, I've never heard of this before. Well, come get a treatment. So I go get a treatment. I'm like, holy crap, I'm in, right? I learned how to do Reiki. Mm-hmm. So I'm learning new things, right? And while I'm learning new things, I bump into this person. Her name's Joanne. And, and, uh, Joanne says, I have a couch I need to get rid of. Would you like it? It's a hundred bucks. I could pony up a hundred bucks. Well, this couch is eight foot long and it's it's got it's got cashmere pillows, right? It's a <laughs> nice freaking couch, which sat in front of the nice freaking window, right? Oh wow. And uh and somebody else had a bedroom set that they were getting rid of. And oh somebody else, I had a desk I'd been carrying around from an uncle for a long time, and I brought that in and and Little things started appearing a little bit at a time. I traded for stuff, right? right? Here's one of the funny stories. I'm a, I'm an executive chef. I'm working in the county jail as a cook. I'm a professional person who cooks food for a living. Right. 
One day I get home in time for dinner. I'm like, I'm going to cook some dinner. And I open my cupboards up and go, uh, I don't have any food. <laughs> so I pony some money up and I walk through the uh, supermarket and it was like, I, I saw myself outside looking in. John goes shopping for the first time. <laughs> it was in this time frame that it occurred to me that my self-sufficiency as an alcoholic was such. I never, ever... Well, I got into cooking because there was always food. I ah. didn't have I didn't have to cook for myself because I always ate at work. Oh, okay. Right? So when I got divorced, there was no mommy cooking for me. I, I had plenty of food. I never owned a car that I couldn't sleep in. Hmm. I never had a car that didn't have bucket seats or some kind of hatchback or thing that I couldn't if I went homeless. It never happened, but I it turns out I, I always was looking for a vehicle that I could sleep in if I had to. Okay. And I somehow invariably dated women that were in retail, so they <laughs> always wanted to dress me. Nice. So all my things were taken care of by others. This is a very alcoholic trait too, right? You right. always get to blame somebody else, right? Right. So... I'm shopping for the first time. John goes shopping for the first time. I'm an executive chef, and I don't know how to shop or cook for myself. So I went to the basics, peanut butter, jelly, craft, macaroni, and cheese, right? Nice. Right? I go to cook it that night, right? I'm all excited. I get home. I go to cook it that night, and I'm like, I don't have any pots and pans. <laughs> I put everything back. I go get a hamburger. I go to work the next day. Jackie and Barbara were like, Webb, what'd you do last night? I was like, let me, let me tell you. <laughs> They're just howling. Oh, you're so stupid. So Jackie's like, look, I got this cooking set that's been in my garage for years. You can have it. Come by after work. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. I go by after work. It, it, oh, let me tell you. It's exactly what you'd expect from a cooking set that you find in a box. It's been in somebody's garage for, for 10 years. But it, it was cooking equipment. Right. So shut the hell up, right? That's all you need. I go to cook. I go to cook the Kraft macaroni and cheese, and it you need butter and milk. <laughs> This so is like I made, a concept you had no, no idea. I, I might have had butter, but I didn't have milk. So I made the KMC with some water, but God damn it, I ate it, right? I ate it right out of the pan. And you know what? I went, I cooked it. I was all proud of myself. I opened, <laughs> I opened up the, the cupboards and I don't have forks or knives or spoons. I got no utensils. <laughs> Next day, Webb, what'd you do last night? I said, I made that Kraft macaroni and cheese. Guess what? I ain't got he does like that shit with my hands. They're like, "Wow, you're so stupid." So uh, I went and bought like a, a thirty pack of plastic forks and plastic knives. And I'm telling that story to one of my friends, uh, a ex girlfriend, and she's like, "You're so stupid." She goes, "You know what? I got a whole storage unit full of stuff that if if I ever got married, I I would have stuff." She reminded me of that lady at the end of uh, "It's a Wonderful Life." been saving this money if i ever got a man but i'm gonna give it to you right so she she says i got some cook some some plates and stuff come get them she had an entire martha stewart collection of Ooh. eight plates wow with saucers and cups and and a pitcher the whole shebang wow. right and so uh, I discovered a place called Tuesday Morning. <gasps> Love Tuesday Morning. They had forks and knives and candles yeah. and pots and cool th little throw rugs. rugs. I discovered throw rugs, right? <laughs> so every day was a new adventure, right? John shops for underwear, <laughs> right? I was 38 years old when I bought my first pair of underwear. Wow. Because mom did it. Right. Army did it. Right. Wife did it. Uh-huh. 
girlfriend did it. Oh, my goodness. So the first time I went to go get some and I did it, it's like, boy, this feels weird, right? <laughs> John buys clothes for the first time, right? Did it feel empowering or did it just feel weird? Well, weird at first, but a strange thing happens when you start doing esteemable things. John Kelly would tell me, you want self-esteem? Yes, do esteemable things, right? I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? For a long time, what the fuck does that mean, right? Right. Uh, Racer X would tell me, you need a hobby. What the fuck does that mean, right? I don't know what that means. It means you have to occupy yourself, and when nobody's around to entertain you, you need to entertain yourself, right? When you do esteemable things, you do things that are are worthy of you, of self-worth, things that would make me feel better about me. Buying my own food and cooking my own food and cooking for myself made me feel better about myself. Buying my own clothes made me responsible for me. Paying my car payment made me responsible for me. Paying my rent, finding those things, going and doing volunteer stuff, all of those things started building self-esteem. And I didn't know that's what I was doing, but I was finding my voice in building self-esteem and becoming a person that was no longer dependent on others, nor somebody that could blame others. Right. And in that, I found my voice and and who I was. And that culminated in the following story. I have always been an artist. And in the pre-years to this story, I had gone to college and been an art major, and that's when I discovered ice carving and cooking and all of that. And that's when I got out of drawing and started drawing on a plate so people couldn't eat, couldn't buy my art, but they could eat my art, and, mm -hmm. and my art melted. I've told that whole story, right? Right. So art had taken a back seat. When I was married the first time, uh, my wife at the time, uh, it was a whole thing. Didn't like my art and didn't want me to spend time on art because I needed to pay attention to other things. And so I just put stuff away. Don't get me started. Lisa gave me a look there. Don't get me started. Anyway, as I saw stuff in magazines or pictures or stuff I wanted to do, um, it turns out for years I had accumulated several uh, pieces of art or pictures that I was interested in doing that um, I would hopefully do one day. Well, when I unpacked all this stuff into this bitch in apartment, in a closet, I had an entire, uh, what do you call that? Uh, I want to say. Binder? Yeah, a binder um, of pictures I'd wanted to do. Well, I didn't have any equipment. I, I didn't have pencils or pens or an easel or anything I was ready to paint and I went. I went and looked at easels at Aaron Brothers when they were still open, and they were they were like a hundred bucks. I didn't have a hundred bucks. Right. And uh, John Kelly says, "Well, why don't you make one?" I'm like, I, I went to Home Depot, and for I think less than thirty bucks, I bought a big piece of wood and some angled pieces of wood, and I built an easel with some rope and some screws, to which I still have to this day. Wow. And I put that easel up in the corner. And then I went back to sitting on the floor and rocking back and forth and just looking at the easel, right? Because I didn't feel worthy. But then I bought some pencils and I talked to some people and I got some art supplies here and there. And I started drawing, right? And uh, and now I'm at home, not running away for 14 hours a day. And I, mm -hmm. I'm occupying my time doing art. Mm -hmm. And I kind of fell into a thing where I had some, uh, some uh, watercolor paper and some gel pens and i started doing some black and white stuff and uh 
you know, just kind of uh, working through that that uh, the binder, binder of the artwork that I always wanted to do. I just started doing a bunch of pictures of stuff that had been in my head for a long time because you kind of artistically, you kind of have to clear the space out. One of them was uh, it was out of a magazine. It was a black and white piece. It was a, a lady. I think it was a, a for a perfume commercial or something. But she had kind of had her head tilted with a knit hat on and a knit scarf around her. And I drew that thing in black and white. Uh, meticulously, it took maybe six, eight hours in front of the TV as I drew this thing. In fact, maybe if we find the picture, I'll have Lisa put it up on the... Oh, uh, that would be the, nice. That'll be the thing that we'll, we'll put on the uh, page today. And I had that. That was one of the first things I drew. Um, but I had several different black and white pieces that I had done over the years. Segway two or three years out. Now I'm getting my kids on the weekend. Now I've got my voice. Now I'm finding and negotiating myself through the world uh, as the person that I want to be. And art, I had decided, was one of the things I would keep for my old life and continue through my new life. And and I wanted to to do that because it brought me joy. I also wanted my kids to share in it, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted my kids to see that I, you know, because I love that. And cooking became a passion, right? And I, I could cook dinner for my kids when they came over and, you know, stuff like that. So one day I'm with my children and I drive by a little gallery here in Redlands. It was called the EOS Gallery. It no longer exists, but it says artists call to artists for a show. And I'm like, hey. So I take my kids. I pull over. I go in and there's a, 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 a little old lady <laughs> who, uh, who was the, turns out she's the curator Ah. And I said, you call the artist. How's that work? And she was, she's very prim and proper. She says, well, you bring me your art and I make decisions. And I'm like, how late are you open? She says, I close at three. I'm like, okay. So I went home and I got my portfolio is the word I've been looking for. There it is. I got my portfolio of my, I don't know, six or eight black and white drawings. They were, they were 20, 18 by 24s. And, uh, and I put the kids back in the car and we ran down there and, uh, and she sat down and she put her glasses at the end of her nose and she says, show me. So I'm across from her and I drop one and she looks at it and she goes, next. <laughs> and I drop the next one and she goes, okay. And I drop the next one. And I mean, uh, no emotion. No. no. Ooh, ah, right. No, I, these uh, are my prides and joys. And she's like, uh-huh. No uh-huh, feedback. All right. Kids are watching too, by the way. Get all done. She says, if I was going to choose one, I would pick this one and this one. So she chose two. I'm like, oh, does that mean you like them? She goes, yes. Well, now what? She goes, well, they need to be framed. Oh. She goes, black and white frames only. And you need a a, a border around it. Uh. I'm like, okay. She goes, I'll be here next week. I'm here from X to X. Uh I'm like, okay. Well, now I go home and the kids got to see that, which I thought was awesome. Uh Uh-huh. Now, uh, I go home and I go looking at frames, right? Frames are expensive. It turns out frames are expensive. So I got to learn how to frame. Oh, my goodness. Right? And I go to garage sales. And look for yeah, frames. You ever go to garage sales and see all those pictures just sitting around for a buck yeah. or two? Yeah, yeah. Right? Start buying frames for nothing, right? But I also learn the business of framing, the business of art, right? I found my voice in that respect through necessity. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. 
So I learned how to frame. And I frame these two pieces up, and I take them back to her all excited. And she turns around. She goes, those are the wrong hangers. I'm like, uh, what do I need? And she explains it to me. You need the wire instead of the, the, oh, the little claws. Got it. So I got to go do that. So little by little, I learned how to frame a piece, how to cut a piece, how to how to make uh, the... Uh, the uh, frames with the with the boards, right? And and over time, I, I got a cutting uh, machine that could do that, and I learned how to do that. And uh, and it turns out, God damn it, Lisa! It turns out it involves math. Ugh. Right? So pissed. Not only did cooking involve math, art involved math. <laughs> the two things I love to my very soul involved math. But I learned how to do that in my own way. Right. Right? Because it was relevant. Because it was relevant and I wanted to do it. That's the key to me learning and right. finding my voice, right? So I framed him correctly. I gave them to her. She says, come back on X day. We'll have it. And she hung. I think I gave her three pieces and she hung two. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'll end that there, but I mean, I did learn, and the the one thing I learned at the gallery opening was pricing, right? Because somebody just mm-hmm. snubbed my piece because it was four hundred dollars less than any other piece in the gallery, and I, I I'm like, what just happened? And it turns out there's a whole thing to right. that, right? That's that's the whole um, worth and value. Uh, talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretension, whatever. And uh, but I learned a lot about that. And it turns out I did that show for four years in a row. Oh, my. The fourth year culminating in uh, putting that piece I just talked about, uh-huh. the knit the knit hat girl, uh-huh. up. Because I hadn't done anything the previous years because I'd gotten busy. And, and she had taken my picture from the year before and put it on her brochure. So she's like, you better present something because you're on the cover this year. <laughs> and so, so I threw that piece at her. And uh, that piece sold, uh-huh. that piece that I did in front of my TV because I was bored and couldn't do anything else for 1700 bucks. Oh, my. And that was a, a piece of paper, a watercolor gel pen, and a frame that I found in a garage sale for 3 bucks, And but, something that, that I could do in front of the TV for six hours. But wait, I... Y- that is your your explanation of it and i think you know what we're going to we're just going to touch really really quickly i know we're going a little long on worth and value so what you described was a piece of paper some pens an old uh an old frame right so the way you talk about that it it's kind of worthless Right in in your no wait let me finish in your head it didn't have value until I put it together until I made it valuable correct but what my my point is because I learned how to do that to the best of my ability with the tools that I had right. because five years prior to that I can't do this I can't right. do this I don't have the money I can't right. do this right 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 as I was learning to be resourceful I could do that and you could see the value in other things. And when I put the whole package together, right. 
uh, because I, I at one point I hated selling or giving my art away because it was so much a part of me. Right. When I learned to share it and put it out there, it turns out others saw the value in it. Mm-hmm. And the lady that bought it was so ecstatic about this particular piece because of where it was going in her house and oh. she loved it so much. And it was perfect. That that 1700 bucks was nothing. Right. But it turns out that something I had inside of me, and this is perhaps the whole crux of this show, Mm -hmm. something that I was inherently born with, a God-given trait that I learned to eventually use to the best of my ability, whether somebody wanted it or not, had value and worth to others, and it was also something that could get me not only joy, but money. Right. Right? The money wasn't the thing. Going to a good home was the thing. Right. Right? But here's the thing, too. I think that before we find our voice... We feel worth less. We have less value than those around us. And that is a deep-seated feeling uh, until you find your voice. When you say, I do have worth, I do have value, and here's here's what I, I am, here's who I am. You know, art is personal. It is, is like you said, giving it away and, and selling it. Um, sometimes it's painful because it's a piece of your soul. Um, it was, here's what I want to say, and you mm-hmm. just tied it together. It was just a piece of watercolor paper. Right. It was a 30-cent pen. Right. It was six hours of time in front of a TV because mm-hmm. I had nothing else to do. It was a $3 frame, and it was all worthless pieces or pieces that did not have much value until I did something I loved right. and put it together right. and gave it away. Right. And that is the key to finding your voice and why you want to do that. Because when you learn to give yourself and give of yourself and and look at the greater good, it turns out it comes back in spades. I would agree. I Can I throw a little thing in here? Yep, we're going to finish with this. Okay. Uh, most of my married life, uh, I had three kids in three and a half years. John's got me beat. He had three kids in three years. Um when you have three kids and they have lots and lots of activities and you're working, um, part of what you do is uh, what you call logistics now. it was For me, it was just carpooling and putting people where they needed to be and making sure everybody got where they were. Um, turns out I was really good at it. But to me, it had no value. It had absolutely no value. Uh, spin down to uh, the... John and I decided we were going to open a corporation. We did all of those things. And the things that I became, that I had just taken for granted, this is just what you do, became valuable. And that's where I, I started to learn to find my voice. The, the ability to do logistical things and to put things where they needed to be, that was my voice. That when, was. When you find value in the everyday things. Correct. When you find value in the things that you that you may not even believe are valuable until somebody goes, wow, that's amazing. And you're like, well, no, it's just what I do. But but that is empowering. Yeah. Uh, that's why that's why you find your voice. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. I think we're gonna leave it at that. I think so. That turned out to be a pretty good one. Yeah, I like that. All right. 
Thank you. Uh, I think we're going to have a, a good one next week, too. Okay. I haven't told you about it yet. But you we, 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 <laughs> I'm looking at you like, I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm full of surprises. Hey, uh, we talked about the dissection class. It's not going to happen. We just can't get enough uh, synergy going for that particular thing. So we've taken it off the board. And uh, we're looking at the uh, the retreat, possibly for next year. Some other things have popped up on our scope that are very exciting for us to work on. And we also now have a yoga room here in Redlands. It's a little yoga room. It holds about six to eight people, but we've already started some classes. I am teaching on uh, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. Uh, I do a little uh, stretchy class but it's also yoga and breath work. And then uh, we have two other instructors and you can, uh, we'll have a website up for that eventually. Great. Uh, everything else is kind of moving along well. Uh-huh. If you, if you know of anyone who would like to have a really special place to teach a class, uh, please give us a call. Uh, we would love to share the space. We are enchanted with how it came out. I yeah, think. it came out nice. Uh, and there's uh, we already have somebody who wants to film her stuff in there too, so it would be a really good uh, spot to film yoga stuff as well. It would. Um, so that's all we have for this week. Thanks for listening. Please tell somebody. Please like. We get uh, It makes the channel grow when you add likes. Uh, I'd say subscribe, but I don't know. Do we have subscriptions? I, I think mm. YouTube's for subscriptions. But right. please, please like the channel and, and tell people about it. If it's made any difference for you, go ahead and tell people and have them listen to it as well. Right. Until next time, kids, have a wonderful day and enjoy your life. You're going to say something. I was. I was going to say, everybody have a great day and be good humans. Okay. I was going to say hug a puppy. <laughs> well, you know. Got All a right. puppy, hug it. Thank you.